By the time the world of movies and the world of education get into the streets of black America, some strange things happen. Because what history and the movies have told the black man is that he's nobody unless he joins the white world. That is not true. Do not believe that. That is dead wrong. They don't discriminate against me because I'm a Christian. They're discriminating against me because I'm black. I grudge them, grudge them on, you know. I threw in my fight for black liberation. And they my one true warrior. Them I want to try to stop him. But them can't stop the man. Them can't stop Raheem Shabazz. That's why anytime me want to listen to revolutionary liberation vibes, me tune into Necessary Blackness podcast. Me not hear them like a yaga yaga podcast them. I be your Necessary Blackness me rock with. Anytime me want your true warrior talking. Lord God. Peace and power black family. We are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness podcast. And I am being consistent, as I said, and as I should be, for 2020. Every week, we have been dropping a podcast. We got a lot of special guests coming up in the coming weeks. So y'all make sure y'all stay tuned for that. And I'll be announcing who our special guest will be on my Facebook, my Instagram, and my Twitter. So make sure y'all follow me at, at Raheem Shabazz on all social media platforms. Now, before we get into the topic of discussion for this particular podcast, I just want to go through some trending news, what's going on in black society. So for starters, I see that Michael Bloomberg is trending And I see that some of our people feel that the Democratic Party is pushing Michael Bloomberg and they want him to become the front runner. I don't understand how this is happening, but then I do understand how it happens because this is politics. But we cannot forget when Michael Bloomberg went into office, he was worth $10 billion. And when he left office, Michael Bloomberg was worth $50 billion. We also can't forget that he wrote the laws in New York City in order for him to run for a third term as mayor of New York City. Now he has his eyes on the presidency of the United States. He sees how rich it's making Donald Trump and his billionaire friends. And guess what? Michael Bloomberg, he wants in. Those that live in New York, y'all can attest to this, many was up in arms about him being able to serve a third term as mayor of New York City, but this is nothing new. This happened in Chicago. If many people remember, Mayor Daley, they was a father and son combined. They served over 20 years in office where they implemented policies, laws, audits, and other means to oppress and subjugate black folks. Michael Bloomberg, he did it in New York as the mayor of New York, and now he wants to do it nationally and globally as the president of the United States. And and it's mind-boggling how a lot of folks, black folks, 
because this is Necessary Blackness podcast. So we talking to, I'm talking to black folks are caping to get this man in office. Now, it's being recently reported that the Alabama Democratic Convention has endorsed Michael Bloomberg for president. The name of this group is called the ADC, and it's Alabama's Democratic Party, which is the largest black caucus. This endorsement comes after Bloomberg gave the keynote speech at the conference 60th annual convention this past Saturday. But the ADC is not the only organization or individual that is receiving money from Bloomberg. Recently, we learned that Bloomberg donated 500000 to, to Stacey Abrams' campaign when she was running for governor in 2018. And he most recently gave her organization Fair Fight $5 million. So this man is pretty much buying his way to the presidency of the United States. And he has more money than any Democratic candidate that is on the ticket to become president. Let me say that again. This man has more money than any Democratic runner for president combined. So all them individuals you see on stage at the debate, he got more money than all of them. So they know that Trump has a war chest of money and they need somebody to compete with him. So that's why the Democratic Party, the Black Caucus, is pushing for Michael Bloomberg. Bernie Sanders is the most popular and he's winning in the polls, but he doesn't have the war chest. He doesn't have the money. Michael Bloomberg is Donald Trump 2.0. He's not even a Democrat. He was a Republican. Now he's a Democrat. This is what politics is. I'm going to play y'all an excerpt. But before I play the speech, what what I want to do is I want to talk about Michael Bloomberg. If you remember, he is the same individual when he was mayor of New York City that held up the settlement for the Central Park Five. And he fought tooth and nail to prevent it from ever being settled and for them receiving that money. How many of y'all remember that? Now, this audio that I'm about to play, it's old and um, it's not the best audio. So I'm, I'm going to read a little excerpt of the audio and then I'll just play it because we want to have receipts. I don't want to say nothing on here and you'd be like, well, I never heard him say that. You know how you know how black folks get. I never heard him say that. Where can we find that at? I'm going to give you the receipts. I'm going to give you the proof. 95% of your murderers and murderer victims fit one of them. You can take the description, Xerox it, and pass it on to all the cops. They are males, minorities, 16 to 25. 
That's true in New York. That's true in virtually every city. And cops in minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way to get the guns out of the kid's hand is to throw them against the wall and frisk them. This is him defending his stop and frisk policy. Now I'm going to play the audio. 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit one MO. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 15 to 21. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. So you've got to, if you want to spend the money for a lot of cops in the street, put those cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So this is one of the unintended consequences is people say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes. That's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is uh, to throw them against the wall and frisk them. And then they start, they say, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to get caught. So they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they leave it at home. So his rationale for stop and frisk is to put more cops in minority neighborhoods because that's where the crime is. Now, everybody knows in suburbia America, there is just as much crime. The only reason why they don't get caught, because it's not heavily policed. There's more drugs in these white high schools than there is in black high schools. They don't search the lockers. They don't stop and frisk them. White people do more drugs than blacks. But... It looks like we're the ones that do the drugs. We're the ones that sell the drugs. Because you have policies like this that are concentrated in our neighborhoods. And then you get the narrative painted on 6 o'clock news. But that's not it with uh, Michael Bloomberg. They just keep saying, oh, it's a disproportionate percentage of a particular ethnic group. That may be, but it's not a disproportionate percentage of those who witnesses and victims describe as committing the murder. In that case, incidentally, I think we disproportionately stop whites too much and minorities too little. That was Michael Bloomberg in his own words. He has since apologized for implementing stop and frisk, and to some, that is good enough. But that doesn't factor in the harm that was done to the hundreds of thousands of families affected by these draconian laws that was implemented in New York City that affected black and Latino youth and adults. Because it wasn't just the youth. If you was black between the age of 18 and 25, you was being stopped disproportionately to any other race or ethnic group. There's a report out that said some individuals were stopped two and three times. And 85 to almost 90% of the time, they did never find a weapon, no drugs, and they were simply let go. So if you take the entire population of blacks and Hispanics in New York City, 
the number of people that was stopped is more than the population. That's crazy. But what we're going to do is we're going to go to a quick commercial break and then we're going to talk about this movie that everybody have been talking about. Who Killed Malcolm X? Stay tuned, family. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I am your host, Raheem Shabazz. Wingy Apparel is the latest fly and revolutionary streetwear to hit the market. Wingy is the outfitters of freedom fighters everywhere. Wingy is a Swahili word that means abundance. No one has ever gone broke by giving. So if you have it in abundance, sharing is better than receiving. Follow us on Instagram at Wingy Apparel. That's at W-I-N-G-I-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. Check out MCJ, musicculturejournalism.com. Hip-hop is a global movement reaching all aspects of music, culture, and journalism. MCJ is the premier destination for culture-driven video and editorial content around the country. Check out musicculturejournalism.com. Log on today. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docuseries. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back from our quick commercial break. And in this segment of the podcast, we are going to talk about the Netflix documentary, Who Killed Malcolm X? And it has been 55 years since the murder of Malcolm X, and there will be a reinvestigation since the documentary came out. A lot of people are talking, and there's a lot of finger pointing, and names are being named. Even the person that they are alleging that killed Malcolm X. I'm also being told that the same individuals who was instrumental in the exoneration of the Central Park Five will be leading the charge in this reinvestigation of the murder of Malcolm X. And that's a good thing because there was two individuals that was forcefully accused of participating in this murder that wasn't even at the Auburn Ballroom during that fateful day. Initially, when I thought about doing this podcast, I wanted to do a full-blown podcast on the entire documentary, Who Killed Malcolm X. However, there are still a lot of people that didn't see the documentary in its entirety because it is a six-part series. Some people seen the first three episodes in their waiting to see the rest of it. So I don't want to give up no spoilers. So I'm not going to go too deep in this podcast. I'm going to talk about some of the things that was not included in there, that should have been included in there, and I'm going to raise a critical question. I do know from being a filmmaker myself that due to time, constraint you can't include everything in the documentary 
But I just feel that there were certain scenes and elements of this man's life that was crucial to the depth of who he was and what his mission was that was left on the editing room floor. I believe that certain things was intentionally left out. And we have to ask the crucial question, why was that? For instance, Malcolm X is reviewed as an individual that defected from the teachings of the Nation of Islam, which in return got the brothers and sisters in the Nation of Islam mad. And he said certain things about Elijah Muhammad's personal life that put his life in jeopardy. That did happen. That was true. However, they never revealed that during his 90-day suspension from the Nation of Islam that he was writing several letters to the messenger that was being intercepted by his sons, that he was sending recordings. And I'm actually going to play one where he admitted his wrong in revealing certain things and making that public statement that chicken come home to roost. That was never discussed. The audio, which is relatively available, was not included in there. And you have to question, that was very crucial, why you wouldn't put that in there. That's number one. Number two, there is no sighting of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in this documentary. Why not? He was a very prominent minister. He was a student of Malcolm X. When there was turmoil in the Nation of Islam and Malcolm X was exiled, Minister Louis Farrakhan, and he admitted this himself, said some real inflammatory things about Malcolm X. He said that he is guilty of flaming the fire, but not of pulling the trigger that killed him. Nothing associated with the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan is included in this documentary. Makes you wonder why, right? There's another crucial element that was not included in this documentary, and that is the relationship between H.L. Hunt and Elijah Muhammad. If you ever read the book, The Judas Factor, it talks about the relationship between this individual and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. In fact, I'm going to read you an excerpt where Malcolm X said, Elijah Muhammad has been depositing contribution from his followers in a secret bank account in Switzerland, and his wife has been doing the same in accounts she held in Beirut and Cairo. Although the Nation of Islam received hundreds of thousands of dollars in donation each year, Markham said, the accounting books he examined in the messenger's office revealed the Nation of Islam was spending far more cash than their followers was contributing. When an individual named Bradley and Jamal inquired how this was possible, with what he replied hit them like a bombshell. This is what Markham said, and this is a quote. There's a Texas millionaire who supports not only Elijah Muhammad, but the Minuteman 
in the John Burr Society, Malcolm X said. His name is H.L. Hunt. I think he is into oil. And then he asked the two individuals, which would be Bradley and Jamal, have you heard of them? Bradley had, but Jamal had not. That's the bombshell. There's audio of Malcolm X discussing this. In the audio, he doesn't mention H.L. Hunt by name, but he said it's a Texas millionaire who's involved in oil. Now, this Texas tycoon, H.L. Hunt, if you do your research on him, he is a racist political activist for the Republican Party. And as they said, he donated money not only to Elijah Muhammad, but the Minuteman and the John Burst Society. There's also audio of Malcolm X talking about how he sat in a meeting that was here in Georgia with members, high-ranking members of the Ku Klux Klan. He said he attended one meeting and he was displeased and they know he was, so he was never invited back down to that meeting. Now, if you ask any member of the Nation of Islam if this is true, they will not deny it because the proof is already out there. Many of them will say business is the highest level of warfare, and this was just business. I don't know. If you're talking about being independent and building a nation of your own, you do not accept money from your open enemy. It was Elijah Muhammad. And I quote, who said, it's your enemy's desire to keep your eyes in the sky and to control the land under our feet. So if the enemy is supplying you with money, then the enemy is the one that is controlling your destiny. So I don't understand how he can be receiving contributions from a racist white supremacist that's involved in oil by the name of H.L. Hunt. I think there's more going to be revealed of who he was and what his whole connection to Elijah Muhammad was. Now, I do know that his name is frequently mentioned in the JFK assassination. And Malcolm X himself said that he never seen a man that was scared or shooken as he did to Elijah Muhammad when he made that statement. So I don't know if this man has some type of control and if Elijah Muhammad was looking and thinking like this man just had the president of the United States, JFK, killed and Malcolm X going to make a statement like that when I told him not to. I don't know. But I just think that was something that should be looked at because this man wasn't just a millionaire. He was a racist and he spent half a billion dollars in the 1960s to influence politics. According to lawsuits filed against him, they said that he sold food that was unfit for human consumption, knowing that such sales would end up in black and low-income areas. This individual, H.L. Hunt, did this, and he regarded blacks as a threat to Caucasian control of American politics and he made clear in numerous radio broadcasts and interviews his disdain for black folks. 
So why was Elijah Muhammad accepting money from him? That's the question that needs to be asked, and I'm sure it's going to be answered very soon. Another key element that's missing from the film is when the mob stepped to Muhammad Ali, and they told him he better throw the fight with Sonny Liston or they was going to break his kneecaps. And he went to Elijah Muhammad, and Elijah Muhammad told him to tell them they had kneecaps as well. That is one of the reasons Muhammad Ali joined the nation because the nation offered him protection. Now, I'm not saying that once he was in the nation, he wasn't true to the tenets of Islam and he became a devoted Muslim, but it was the mob that really got him into the nation. And it was Malcolm X that brought him to the nation of Islam and brought him to Elijah Muhammad. See, there's three ways most people come into the movement for liberation. That's inspiration, admiration, and desperation. And Muhammad Ali, he was the champ in the ring, but he was desperate for some form of security from the mob because during that time, the mob ran everything from the gambling spots to the number rackets to the casinos to the to the union jobs. So he was pretty safe under the umbrella of the Nation of Islam. Do your research, family. It's all out there. As promised, I am now going to play the audio from Malcolm X that he sent to Elijah Muhammad confessing his shortcomings and apologizing for anything that he may have done that was disobedient to the messenger. These are the words of Malcolm X. Dear Holy Apostle, Assalamu alaikum. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, to whom all praise is due, whom we forever thank for giving us the most honorable and humble Elijah Muhammad, that our divine leader, teacher, and guide. I want to uh, put what I'm going to say to you on this tape for uh, two purposes. Number one, I want to really apologize to you for having let you down for the mistakes that I've made, especially during the past year. I want to confess my fault, confess my wrong. I want to confess my weaknesses. I want you to know that thanks to Allah and you, I'm able to see myself better now. I'm able to see my weaknesses better now and my shortcomings better now. I do believe that in seeing them better, it, it may be possible for me to overcome them and become a better person. At least I am praying to Allah that this is the case. And above all else, I am praying to Allah put mercy and forgiveness in your heart. And if you weren't merciful nor forgiving toward me, I could well understand it. I have always known that Master W.B. Farad is Allah. I believe that, I believe that Master W.B. Farad is Allah, and I believe that you are his messenger. I believe that your program is right, and I believe that your teachings are right, and that it was my belief in this that made me as successful as I was, especially it was my firm belief in this that enabled me to stand up 
in the face of all opposition on television, on radio, before colleges and before people out in the street at mass rallies and support your program and present your program and represent your program. It was my faith in it that enabled me to represent it. Those are the words of Marker Max. That is the audio recording. And it's good that it was recorded in audio because it could not be lost. It was revealed to the public. And that is an audio that is hardly ever talked about because they don't want you to know the true story of what was going on in Malcolm X's life and that he was actually reaching out to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And if that audio would have been revealed and possibly reached the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, then maybe that faithful day would not have happened. So in closing, I want to give a shout out to Crump TV, the Fly Guy podcast, and Knowledge Born of Do the Knowledge Radio. Those are three platforms that I had the privy of being on in the past week. Make sure you check those brothers out. So I want to close by saying that we all know that Malcolm X was the charismatic activist whose words continue to fuel black nationalist ideology, and he will always be looked upon as one of our greats. We will continue to celebrate him as we do on his birthday, and we will continue to uphold his values, his interests, and his principles for the man he was and not what mainstream media presents him to be. They call him the most divisive black rights civil activist. Some called him a career criminal, but we know his life of crime didn't span more than 18 months before he went to prison, came out, and was transformed into the man we know him to be today. There are several organizations, family, that have adapted the principles of Malcolm X, and one of them is the Malcolm X Grassroot Movement, and others I had an opportunity to work with them brothers and sisters from the Malcolm X Grassroot Movement with showing my documentary, Elementary Genocide, at, uh, where was that at? That was at Georgia State College, right here in Atlanta. So, I'm going to say peace and power, black family. Make sure y'all tune in on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Also, be sure to go and subscribe to our YouTube page, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Peace and black power, family. I'm out of here. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor. And when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. This is Shalee. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie. Raheem Shabazz on the Necessary Blackness Podcast.
it's essential. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. This is Siraj, founder of the Man in the Mirror Project. Hanging out with Raheem Shabazz, all the way from the UK, representing that Necessary Blackness podcast. Yo, what up? It is the Mohawk and Real Talk and Living Fully Businessfully, Dave Anderson of the Business Fully Podcast. You know me when you see me, you heard me in these streets. If you haven't, that's just me breathing down your neck. You are listening to the Necessary Blackness podcast with my brother, my homeboy, my main number one cousin from another oven, my man Raheem Shabazz, man. Get in, get your mind right because it's necessary. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is the lowrider guru, Thomas T.J. Lofton from Compton, California. When I'm traveling around the world or I'm in the car, I got Necessary Blackness, the podcast on checking out my man, Ryan Shabazz. Peace. This is Zaza Ali. And when I am not studying the science of the universe and the laws of creation, I am listening to the big homie, Raheem Shabazz, on Necessary Blackness. Make sure you support. Peace. <laughs> 